Welcome to episode 425 of The Sleeper and the Bus. It is Thursday, February 9th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Sayers. Eno, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. Just had a sandwich that was uh, roast beef with melted Gruyere and fig, what was it, apricot fig chutney uh, and cucumbers on a toasted roll. That was good. It sounds fantastic, and it, it leads <laughs> me to what I believe is probably just an obvious question. How close are we to sandwich graphs? <laughs> Not that close. I don't have the time anymore. You've I cannot just, do it. Your sandwich game is is so on point, though. You know, it's like we all we all know your beer game is is Clayton Kershaw level. Your sandwich <laughs> game, like, is Mad Bum. Like, I mean, yeah, but you also need. I mean, the, the the key, the real reason is is you need a data stream, and so we would need some sort of data, and I, and it can't be all created by one person. So it'd have True. to be some sort of crowdsourced data. I mean, you could do something with Yelp. Like, uh, I think uh, on the level of, if you remember 538's Big Burrito yes, uh, search that they did yep. or whatever you want to call it, I think you could do something like that with with sandwiches where you just kind of try to control for certain things. <clears throat> It'd be interesting to me to find if, you know, one region of America is super into sandwiches. <laughs> you know, like, I guess it would be New York, maybe? I don't I was know. Say that, that they could be one. I mean... Here's the thing. If we're doing sandwich graphs, there will be no is a hot dog a sandwich, okay? I will ban that instantly because <laughs> that's tired. You're not funny. You didn't create it. Everyone's been doing it. It's tired. So no, Let it die. But No papaya king showing up in the best sandwich places in, in America? Not having it. Not having it, okay? <laughs> but anyway, we'll put this on the back burner, but sandwich graphs I think is is, is in the future. Uh, we got plenty of baseball to talk about, though. We actually have a handful of, of transactions, and we're going to break down the St. Louis Cardinals, which are, are an interesting fantasy team. And we got to kind of talk about their real baseball aspect because Pakoda projections came out, and they were none too friendly to the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that and then uh, dive in on this team because they look like a contender on paper, but maybe they're not. But let's start off with our question of the day. and. <laughs> I'm ready to get angry. You know, I, I wanted to have a good show and or a happy show, but I want to just get angry. So let, let's start off with uh, me asking you how psyched you are about the Ghost Runner on second for extra innings idea. <laughs> I thought you were super angry about Jason Hamill going to the Royals oh, for some reason. <laughs> so pissed off. God, I can't believe. No, uh, I'm actually fine with that move. Uh, but the the proposed rule change <laughs> to put a runner on second. In extra innings, it's not a ghost runner, but it makes it uh, sillier if, if I just refer to it as a ghost runner um, to kind of pick up the pace of extra innings. This is misguided on so many levels. I'll give you a second to go off on it here in just a moment. The, the idea that – I know they're trying to improve the pace of the game, and I get it, right? I'm a diehard baseball fan, and so are you, and we, we've gone through games where we're like, this game is just dragging. Like, Just because we're diehard baseball fans doesn't mean we can't admit that sometimes the pace – is excruciating. Um, I, I honestly, I think that's the case for for a lot of the the major sports. I find basketball to be uh, completely unwatchable in the last two minutes of a game when you're getting fouls and timeouts. Uh, I find football to have a, a, a pretty dang slow pace as well. And and I didn't watch a whole lot of full games this year because I find that that its pace is is really slow. But baseball takes all the heat for pace. But these ideas that they're coming up with to to fix the pace. Uh, don't throw the balls on an intentional walk. How many intentional walks are there per game? Put a ghost runner on second in the extra innings. 
uh, how like where why is that the problem? I don't think extra inning games are the problem. I think a three and a half to four hour nine inning game with fifteen pitching changes is the real problem. So I think this is a completely misguided and 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 stupid idea. But I'm curious your thoughts. You know. <laughs> now that I've set it up no, no, with no no. <laughs> no bias or no no thought on no persuasive thoughts on it at all, what are your thoughts? <laughs> no, I mean I I hate it. it. It'll lead to more bunts and sacrifice flies. I mean, what are you going to do if you get a free guy on second and no outs? I think you know two thirds to all of the managers are going to just try and bunt that guy over and and get a sacrifice fly. So yeah, that would be so boring and. I hate that, and I don't think that long, uh, extra inning games are actually the problem, other than they probably, maybe they show up in some of the metrics. Maybe, you know, some of the metrics are like, well, you know, average game time is this long, and we didn't uh, control for innings. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Although, if, if that's what's happening, should. that that would be ridiculous. Because, yeah, sometimes there's an 18-inning game, game, but I kind of like those, uh, especially on like a uh, Thursday night on, on the West Coast when I'm trying to watch baseball as long as I can. It doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't really bother me. And I understand yeah. that I'm a little bit of a different fan than, than your average fan, but I just don't see that as being something that needs to be fixed. There's only one thing that I do not like about extra inning games. I find it to be poor quality baseball. That's true. I, it, it is, especially the longer you get and you're thinking, yeah. well, these pitchers are slogged down. So are the batters. <laughs> and I think we don't give that enough thought about oh my how the God, batters the swings are they're taking the, they're just desperate they're tired they're just swinging at everything and it's this combination of bad approach and tired batters along with worsening ever worsening pitchers because Absolutely. you're getting to the very end of your bullpen so the actual quality of the game is not exciting but i don't think that they care about the quality of the game because you know this this seems to be done within the purview of pace so at least i think you should start with uh, do if you did do something like this, it should never be in the tenth inning. Maybe in the fifteenth inning, right, to keep it from going. Yeah, maybe you know, something after a while. Killing a pitching staff, you know. I, I agree. It, that I, I would start to understand it a little bit more. But you have to give a handful of regular extra innings before before you make this right. move. I, I I'd be more open to it if it. The wasn't. tenth is not a problem. The tenth nope. is. You know, either your closer goes an extra inning or your setup guy comes out. You know, it's not like the worst pitchers and you're, you're, they're athletic enough to go, you know, 12 or 13. But when it gets to like 20, I mean, it's just like, I mean, it, it is delirious is the word that Harry Pavlidis used. <laughs> and it is kind of fun. And people call it talk about weird baseball. Yeah. It's fun to watch on Twitter fun, with people in the middle of the low- night. Quality baseball. <laughs> it, it really is. It really to, is. Just wanted to point that out. That's the only thing I wanted to. Point and that's out. completely fair. Uh, again, from a selfish standpoint, I'm I'm watching it late night and I'm enjoying that there's still baseball on. But I would never right. suggest that that this is the the uh, utmost quality of baseball. So yeah, I know you know they're going to try it in the in the minors. We'll see how it goes. But uh, I think the biggest point that you made is that you can't do it in the tenth. If you are going to do something like this. While I wouldn't love it, it it's got to start at like the 15th. And then we'll try to get this game over with because then you are starting to go. And you can go into a situation where you use a starter who maybe shouldn't be going, Brett Anderson. I know that's a one-off example, and that should not you know, be, be the only point to, to be made there. But remember, that that one game that they had 
Angels versus A's, where he was supposed to start the game. He was scratched. It goes deep. He comes out in like the 12th or, or, or 14th inning. I don't remember what it was. Throws several innings while hurt and ends up getting more hurt. And so mm-hmm. that's obviously a good reason not to have such a long game. But I, I don't have any issue with a, a, a 10, 11, 12 inning game. Those, those are usually not the problem. It's really when you get deep into that fifth hour of gameplay. That's, that's I'd much rather, I hate mucking around with the, very basics of the game, like people talking about one-one counts or oh you know all that stuff. I hate mucking around the basics of the game because baseball, I think, has actually kept true to its form longer than other sports. And so, it's even though it's very hard to compare guys from different eras, at least you know the regular season game has most of the same rules. You can't. Say that about basketball. We were talking about they didn't even used to shoot three pointers. It's completely different, or count blocks. Right. So you're talking about so, triple double records and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell probably had 84 jillion blocks a game. <laughs> so anyway, no, I, I'm, enough, I'm with you. Enough there. about the the silly things. I don't think they'll do it in the end though, because apparently ratings go up in in the post in the in the extra innings. So. You know, in the end, they're about ratings too. So, so, so yeah. I mean, th- this is just not something that's going to increase pace uh, or, or change things that way. So, if that's your goal, this is not the solution. All right, Dina, let's talk some transactions. All right, first one is is one that you alluded to earlier. You thought that that was the the, the cause of my anger today, but it's not. I'm I'm perfectly fine with Jason Hamill getting a deal out in KC. I'm pulling up the specifics of it right now. Uh, I believe it was a two-year deal. Yes, two-year deal with a mutual option for 2019. 34-year-old's going to get a guaranteed 16 mil. Here's the thing. Uh, Jason Hamill out in KC, I think it could could work nicely, but I don't know that he's going to be any different than he's been in past years, which is uh, good for big stretches, but always kind of has an implosion period, whether it's uh, an extended one that, that is like a second half, which has been in the past, or just a bad, really bad month. And and what it usually does, what that down period does for Hamill is it usually brings him back to the mid three, mid to upper threes with his ERA. So you look at his last three seasons, 347, 374, 383. Each of those seasons started off brilliantly where he was carrying some sub three ERA for a couple months, really. I mean, he just looked like he was going to have some huge season, but home runs are always a problem. And like I said, always runs into that, that, that down period. And usually with, with some pretty bad starts. I think last year he had a 10 earned run outing, uh, yeah, against the Mets in New York. Four innings, 10 earned runs. They had another 10 run outing in Colorado, but only six of them were, were charged. Eight earned runs in Milwaukee. All three of those were after July 1st. So, so it's, it's that second half and he had a concerted effort, Jason Hamill did, to, uh, have more durability and endurance. And that was, that was a focus of his. So he did make it to the finish line innings wise, but you know, there were still performance issues because through June he was at 258 and then from July through September, he had a 5.22 ERA. So the next step, I guess, and I don't know how much better we're going to see a 34-year-old get, would be not only making it to the finish line, but making it to the finish line without that uh, that big downgrade in performance. What do you think of Jason Hamill and KC? Well, you know, he's he's been throwing his change up pretty much less and less with every year as it's gone along. And um, I thought that, you know, here's a guy who has two pitches and that 
some of this was, you know, you can see him, he, he got taken out in the fifth inning a lot. That's part of, that's another reason why his innings were low. And, um, you know, as I thought, here's a guy who has two pitches who can't do the third time through the order. And that's why, you know, partially why his innings are down. And then maybe there's some either whiff of injury about using the slider so often or just, you know, that's his body and, you know, he's going to be an injury guy. Uh, but I, I was surprised. I, I, I checked how he did third time through the order last year and his strikeout rate actually went up third time through the order and his FIP went down. So, you know, I think what's probably going on there is that if he's left in to go through the third time in the order, it's not one of those 10 run games, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. So that's why it looks better. I think, you know, if you could, could control for that somehow, then, you know, but what I do see there is it's not Juan Nicasio. Juan Nicasio went from, you know, striking out 30% of the guys to striking out 9% of the guys this third time through the order. I mean, he just, Juan Nicasio fell off the place, face of the planet. He's a true two-pitch guy that's headed to the bullpen. Hamill, I think, with that curveball, has enough to be a starter. And I think you're right that it is just a question of stamina and body and, and injury history with him. You know, one thing that's a little bit uh, upsetting is that Hamill probably pushes Matt Strom out of the starting rotation, at least to begin the year. Yeah, and but that could help because then th- that way they're not, uh, you know, taking Matt Strom out in August and having to move him to the bullpen. Maybe they can do the reverse way where he starts in the bullpen for them. I, although it would probably be in Omaha because they would want to keep him getting innings. Uh, so Matt Strom might end up having to, having to go to AAA to keep, keep the fact that he's going five, six innings going. But then it could be a nice big second half boost. He was really impressive with the stuff he showed out of the bullpen in the majors last year and has been a little bit of a, a trendy deep sleeper that I'm definitely interested in as well. Yeah. And, you know, out of the bullpen, you know, he's 80% fastballs. He does have good secondary pitches though, so I'd like to see him develop those. And if they're kind of stuck in between, if they want to be competitive this year, then they actually sort of need him. That bullpen gets thin quickly for, at least for a Royals team. It's Herrera, Saria, and then, I don't know, and I mean. Questions for sure. Questions. Brian Flynn, Chris Young as a reliever. Well, especially from uh, the lefty side, because currently roster resource has Brian Flynn, Scott Alexander, never heard of him, and Mike right. Miner, who, you know, has and minor's major probably, health issues. Yeah, minor, minor's a, probably their sixth starter. So, um, unless it's so, Trump. So, and then, or young. So the, yeah, I mean, they don't, this is not the Royals team of yesteryear. You know, they're getting older. They've lost some pieces already and they're now, uh, their bullpen is now not the same. So maybe they keep Strom in that bullpen and, you know, if they're not good, Herrera gets traded and Strom is the closer and we never speak of Strom as a starter again, which would be a shame of its own right, but, you know, would fit what the Royals have done in the past. Well, um, let's not forget or, Jason Vargas and Jason, they're Jasons. Yeah. Vargas and Hamill are not the best teams of health. Exactly. Right, yeah. So, and, and Nate Carnes. And Duffy himself, you know, has yeah. had an injury history. And then Mike Miner and Chris Young as your sixth and seventh starter when teams get, you know, real starters innings out of the first seven starters. And then Nate Carnes is coming off a back injury. So I think Strom will start, but once you start assigning a dual role where it's, you know, in the bullpen and in the rotation, it's hard to give a guy more than, you know, 10 starts. Let's say 
if he starts in the bullpen, at some point, if they're like, okay, we want you to start, he has to either go down to get stretched out or get stretched out at the major league level, which is really hard, so he'd probably go down. So you're probably talking about, you know, 20 innings in the bullpen to begin the year, then he goes down and gets stretched out into the halfway mark, and then maybe he can give you 10 to 12 starts in the second half. Mm-hmm. And so and, you don't want to overdraft an asset right, like that. Right, in a redraft league, are you really going to, Pay real like a lot for seventy-five innings stretched out in that way. Ten, you know, twenty relief inning, twenty relief appearances that may, may get you a hold or may not because he might be behind Surya. And then you know, second half ace. I mean, there's certain depths of league that yes, you would pay for that. But in more other leagues, especially redraft, I find that he's more a name to circle than anything. What if you're in something like AL Labor, which is a 12-team AL only, super deep, so all these guys are in play. What do you think? think that, what are you throwing on Hamill? Reserve, what are you throwing on Strom? Reserve round is, is a good place for him. For Strom. Because then you, for Strom, uh, because... Let me see if that's right. Reserve. He might he actually be best. too hyped to go reserve, though, especially uh, yeah, in a draft also, like that. If he's playing in the major leagues, specifically to AL Labor rules, if he's playing in the major leagues... No, no. Reserve rounds are $0 players. So actually, if you can get him in the reserve round and he's a reliever, then he's a real asset because if someone gets hurt or something, then you can put Strom in just as a reliever and you can still reserve him because he's a $0 player. So, like, I love him as a reserve. If you have to actually pay dollars for him, what do you do when he's in between and is he worth really that much to you, you know, as a dollar reliever? And if he's more than a dollar, then you really then I think you're overpaying because, you know, there are other relievers in the American League that are closer to, to to relieving. And if you really just wanted, like, a prospect that might start in the second half, there's got to be other guys that can go for a dollar or go in the reserve, you know? So there's 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 other ways to do this and then pay Matt Strom a lot of money, in, even in an AL labor. What about Hamill? Is he, is he a double Well, that one I like because, you know... $9? I don't know. That seems like a lot. The projections like a lot, but a $4 guy. He's been a steady $12 guy in mixed leagues right. the last three years. So, Yeah, but I he's mean, but the projections have him, but with going to the American League, have him as a four ERA guy is what I meant to say. So, you know, that's not exciting. That's no. a five ERA even. Especially and, if, if you're going to get a four ERA and an AL only, then I need 180 plus innings. And we just have not seen that out of Jason Hamill. So we certainly can't bet on it. In fact, he's literally never eclipsed 176 innings. That's a career high. Right. You know, the last three years he's beaten, you know, Babbitt. He's had a better than 300 Babbitt. I can't necessarily see why right away because he's not an infield fly ball guy. Um, but maybe just throwing all those sliders, you know, maybe it's sliders. Just it's, the home runs don't get factored in, and so. Well, he's also been on the yeah. It's he's a also little misleading. He's also yeah, been on the Cubs, a great helps. defensive team. You know, the Royals are pretty good defensively, but still, betting on that sort of thing to continue seems a little bit like folly, especially since Hamill has, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six years of. Of four plus ERAs, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want to just look at the last three years and say, "Oh, he's a three seven guy." So it's like six bucks uh, AL only. Then is that where you're stopping? I I don't know if I'd even go that high. I think I think I'd rather. Well, I mean, on the chance that he's a three seven five guy, I'd pay two or three bucks. But six bucks, 
Uh, what did I get? I got some good players last year for six bucks. Let me see if I can find that. But anyway, we can keep talking about yeah, okay. other things. Uh, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and uh, move to a couple other guys. Uh, I'm going to pair these two together. By the way, I think I would go round six in an AL only. That's about the high. I think I'd go on Hamill. I'm a bit, bit of a Hamill guy, but, uh, I understand his flaws. Uh, Mike Napoli to Texas, Chris Carter to New York. Yeah, he's, uh, we've been talking about these sluggers. I think I have something. Oh, go ahead. Oh man. Well, last year going into the season, a $6 pitcher was Chris Bassett, uh, CC, you know, the guy on the Yankees. Um, <laughs> Hector Santiago, Danny Duffy was a $6 guy going in. That worked that out. That seems a little bit relevant. So I, I, I actually feel better about putting Hamill at six bucks then. All right, speaking of pitchers that get hurt, you know, Homer Bailey's already hurt before the season starts. Of course, he's trying to come back from a Tommy John surgery that has now, I think, ripped two seasons out of Homer Bailey. He's got bone spurs that he just had to have removed from his elbow. It's going to be four to six weeks. He's likely to start the season on the DL. Yeah, he has eight total starts in the last two seasons. He was on a really promising track from 2012 to 2014. This was a guy I really liked a lot. And now it's really come off the rails here with two missed seasons and another that's looking like it's going to start on the DL, age 31. What can we hope for from Homer Bailey, if anything? I think it's uh, we can hope that we learn something, which is that not every Tommy John takes. You know, yep. it's not, and it's not that they only that they all turn out into Chris Medlin or oh, who's the guy who was the Brave and then the Dodger. That um, had the two in a row. Anyway, oh Brandon Beachy, yeah Beachy. It's not always a promise, and then it's always it's not always like a second Tommy John. It's that you know there's still either something mechanically that they're doing or something you know in the elbow itself that's not quite there. That you know I think that's what we've seen out of Bailey is sort of fits and starts and you know trying to come back but not being quite there. When he first came back, the stuff wasn't there. You know he didn't have the same drop. On any of his, of any of his breaking pitches. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was 2014 or 2015. And I thought, well, you know, maybe next year he'll come back. And then he just, he came back with a little bit more bite and he got another tick and a half of, of gas, but he was never back to the 94. And the, the breaking stuff never looked like it did before, did before. So, um, you know, there's something, there's something missing there. And I, I think I'm just out until, I see something good. I mean, there has to be some good news. And I don't know what kind of a team, maybe my, you know, 20 team, 40 man roster, I can stash him and, and hope that something comes back. But exactly. That, that's, that's where I'm at with, with Bailey at this point. It's, it's a wait and see. Um, you're no longer really taking the gamble with this news. I actually had written a piece where I w- was suggesting that, Hey, he's really under the radar. Maybe, maybe you jump on him and, and, he, and he's ready to go, but that was before this injury. And so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed that he's still struggling here. You know, another guy who, who struggled coming back and it wasn't just another Tommy John, but it was another injury was Jamison Tyon. Remember when he was coming back, he suffered a hernia and he ended up having basically two seasons lost. So, so we see these cases that, uh, yeah, like you said, it's not just a guarantee that you're going to come back and be, uh, better than ever. In fact, sometimes you're really going to struggle to get back in general. So, some some good news in there maybe. Um, Robert Stevenson has to be a lock now to make the team because even if you give them Feldman, even if you give him Arroyo, 
That's oh, fine. I forgot that they added Bronson Arroyo. That's <laughs> yeah, hilarious. But uh, gotta start the pot over. We gotta we gotta lead with Bronson Arroyo. I'm gotta starting lead over. with the Bronson. We gotta lead with those cornrows, man. <laughs> yes. Let's all cornrow Let's like all Bronson Arroyo. Cornrows, take them into your draft. If you got blonde hair, it's way better. By the way, here's the name that I'm actually still excited about: is Cody Reed. Yeah, I, I like him better than Robert Stevenson. And if this can somehow get Cody Reed on the opening day roster, which I think it could because A, is Bronson Arroyo healthy? What, get, what, you know, what velocity is he even throwing? And then B, is Robert Stevenson any good? What sort of command is he going to show? Mm-hmm. Uh, and C, Scott Feldman. So, you know, I think Cody Reed, it's just a No one- questions on Scott Feldman, just <laughs> his name says it all, folks. And so then Cody Reed, Scott in there. And Cody Reed, you know, it, it was, in terms of strikeouts and walks, fine. In terms of what happened on balls in play, not fine. Just the worst balls in play stuff. I mean, two and a half homers per nine almost. It was insane. 362 Babbitt. I mean, just, they murdered everything in play. If that guy figures anything out, he's starting with, with good stuff. Joey Votto said to me, this is the guy with the best stuff in camp. And I think that fastball and slider are good and the changeup. Is actually pretty decent. It's it, not. It is, and he he's not afraid to use it. Cody Reed has a twelve percent changeup that he yeah. uses, and I think it's it's more than a show me. He obviously needs to iron things out with all three pitches, like you said, the balls in play were a disaster. But you're looking at a guy from the left side who throws ninety three, ninety five, really hard slider up at eight eighty eight, eighty nine, and then the changeup down in the in the mid eighties. It's not quite three velocity bands. The slider and changeup are pretty similar, but the movement on the changeup does give it a, a, a third look there. So I agree with you that there's there's some intrigue here with Cody Reed that, that could be a silver lining to this Homer Bailey injury. Yeah, but um, in the redrafts, you want to just you know know if he's making the team. Not uh, not a guy that you'd put in that breakout crew with Paxton and you know all those guys. More, uh, again, late 90s probably. He could be there next year. The, the, we yeah. could see Cody Reed have a season where it's – Little bits of, of quality, maybe some more struggles, hopefully not to the level of, of 16, but ends up with like, uh, you know, 420 ERA at season's end with good strikeout walk numbers. And then with next year, we're getting hyped, but because the talent is such that you could see the double step. Um, and we see guys take the two steps uh, forward in a, in a given season. He can be worth a gamble, particularly in like an NL only or your deeper mixed leagues for Cody Reed. So especially if he makes the rotation. So keep an eye on him in spring training. You mentioned that you're concerned about Stevenson. It's the command, right? Uh, do, do you think that he's ever going to stick as a starter? Or is he going to end up being somebody that gets pushed to the bullpen like our boy uh, Rysel Glacius? You know, I don't even know if it's just – the command, I mean, yeah, okay, it's, it's the command first, for sure. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, you know, I don't think the changeup, the changeup might not be any good. He also allowed two homers per, 2.2 homers per nine. Yeah, well, we're trying not to look at We're not, we're trying to, trying to look past those things. I don't know, the, the changeup, it doesn't have any fade. He's all up down. He's an over the top kind of riser curve. You know, it, it, you know, it works for Rich Hill. And it could work for him, but if it does, it needs to have more command. So, uh, I don't know. I see why people are into him in some ways and in other ways. I'm like, there's no side to side. So he's never going to have any soft landing when it comes to ground balls. You know, he's not going to be. 
a slider or cutter added? Would 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 you change your outlook? Maybe or a sinker or something. I mean, it's just it's just all up down, you know. And yep. so yeah, look at that, thirty four percent ground ball rate. That's totally predictable. And Basketball so if you do, if you do that sort of thing, then you need to strike out eight, nine, ten, or nine. You know what I mean? Like you need to, especially if you're going to walk four and a half per nine. So <laughs> exactly. you know, if he takes, if he just somehow figures out how to be, you know, one of those like Liriano types or something. I mean, he's he's a righty, but. You know, just the guy who walks a lot of guys but also strikes out a ton of guys, then, then maybe he can do it. But um, well, the way it is right now, I don't, I, I don't see it necessarily. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to to a, a group of uh, of power hitters here that we're going to kind of bunch together. Two two transactions uh, of signing or two signings and one transaction that we kind of hinted at inadvertently uh, when we talked about the Minnesota Twins. We got Mike Napoli out to Texas, Chris Carter to the Yankees. And then Biongo Park designated for assignment and outrighted. He cleared through, so he can be outrighted to AAA. I, I think they're all kind of interconnected because of the fact that they're primarily DHs. The the power guys were just kind of sitting out there. You wrote a whole article about it, trying to find spots for these guys. Felt like Napoli to Texas was was a foregone conclusion for quite a while. So seeing that get finished is not a huge surprise. Carter to the Yankees is a bit interesting. Uh, in in what it could do to Greg Bird and Matt Holliday's playing time. And then Park, like I said, when we went through the Twins breakdown, we didn't really find space for him with Canise Vargas uh, being there as a switch hitting option, a younger option who is a lot like Park. And then even Daniel Palka, one of their prospects, who also shares similarities to Park, but is, of course, younger and, and, and could have a higher ceiling. So uh, go ahead and take him in order, Napoli, Carter, and Park. What did you think about these three uh, power hitter transactions? You know, I mean, I guess I guess we have maybe overcorrected for power, but at the same time, I want to be clear that like if you're a power hitter that actually walks and has any defensive value, people still like you. You know, of course, it's not, of course. we're not we're talking about a 35 year old in Mike Napoli, and with Chris Carter, we're talking about maybe the most one toolist player ever. <laughs> You know, I mean, if we could define that, I'd love to because there's one tool there. Terrence Gore is is in contention. Oh for that my as well, lord, though. is he ever? As, as the speed demon who literally cannot hit his way out of a wet paper bag. <laughs> and may, we had to go back a few years, but maybe like a Raphael Belliard type for you know, glove only does nothing else. I love it. Yeah. I love it. One tool player. Somebody get on it. Uh, that's yeah. like a front page article. Uh, for Sullivan. None of you guys get on it. I'm doing it. Shut oh, you're up. doing it. Never mind. Uh, scratch yeah. that back off. Yeah, that sounded pretty good. I that want to take e- it. That is Eno's piece. Anyway. Uh, anyway, anyway. so, Na- Napoli, Napoli in Texas is super exciting if you, if it were 2011. <laughs> but, um, he's now 35 years old and the way that aging curves work, they suggest that you start hitting, um, more ground balls as you age and striking out more as you age. And he just struck out the um, the most in a three-year range and the second most of his career, uh, and, which and is an most important most by volume, one ninety-four. Yeah, most by volume, most uh, second-worst swinging strike or third-worst swinging strike rate of his career. So, you know, uh, the strikeouts are going the wrong direction. And, I, you know, the projections do a good job of sort of mixing – his aging curve plus the fact that he was better the, la- the two years before last year, 
But I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if he struck out 32% of the time. That would be a normal thing, given his age and his history. So if he does strike out 32% of the time and starts hitting more ground balls, then you're talking about a lot more like a 220 batting average and 25 to 27 homers. And if he is hitting 220 and Joey Gallo can hit 220, you know, it doesn't take too long till all of a sudden Napoli is is not even really playing that much. Now, the one good thing about Napoli is that he is a heavy fly ball guy, particularly last year, 45%. So even if he does start to give a little bit of that away, he could still be in the 40s, which should help him keep the homers. But again, you get to a certain point with the batting average, and it was at 239 last year, 224 the year before. We've seen a couple 220 seasons out of him, 227 back in 2012 with these Rangers. That is, you know, then then if you're only getting 23 homers, like you're saying, why not just take a shot on Gallo? Even the Rangers might be thinking that, let alone fantasy folks thinking that. Right, and, and that's so, how you end up with 400 plate appearances, you know, for – for Napoli, he had a lot of 400 plate appearance seasons. And yeah, it's fair to say that he was a catcher back then. So there was, you know, fewer plate appearances in there for him. Also fair to say that he's a righty. So he got platoon some, but all those things, I mean, not the catcher thing. That's not true anymore, but he could still get platoon on the wrong side and end up with 400 plate appearances. So there's actually a lot of downside here for me. I don't think there's a lot of upside either. Cause if you're going to pay for anything like last year's numbers, you're it's very unlikely you'll get those first of all yeah you, you know you gotta and, pay just about last year's costs and hope to get la- like that that's, right. and, and that's not going to happen right he's already going right. to be moved up everyone's back in on the napoli train how much and this is a weird question it might it might be the zero but how much does like his cult status the party at napoli stuff do you think that that <laughs> raises his fantasy cost at all because he's a little bit more known than some of the similar guys who do who do the same thing, including like a Carter who goes 25 picks later, even though they're the same guy. Brandon Moss who goes 111 picks later. Like what the hell's the difference between those two? Um, so do you think that there's some of that or is it just that? It's uh, interesting. I mean, you know, Napoli only hit 35 homers combined in 2014 or 2015, exactly. you know? Exactly. And, uh, and yet, you know, I think he does get treated as more of a sure thing, even among, you know, even among writers that are just talking about, you know, free agents that are out there and stuff like that. So I think, um, yeah, he's a lot more fringe than people, people want to admit. He does have a better situation than Greg, than Chris Carter, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... let's talk a little bit about Carter because as a Greg Bird believer this year, that's got me a little spooked. Yeah, but I think Greg Bird, even with the shoulder, is a better defender. And I'm a better defender. Right. And so I think Chris Carter. Base, he, I'm better than Carter. Our depth charts have him at 210 plate appearances in, at first base. So I, I'd have a hard time seeing him get that many there because you're just giving up so much on, on defense. What are you gaining? I mean, maybe they're saying that he'll play there against left-handers, and but then you're but you're then, sitting. Greg Bird against left-handers. Um, well, and if you're going to do that, to start who? Tyler Holiday. Austin. Yeah, I'd put Holiday at first. Right. Exactly. So, right, Holiday would be a better defender probably, even though he has only played it for like two years. Exactly. So, so <laughs> which is just an amazing thing to say, sort of. But uh, Matt Holiday uh, also complicates things for for all these guys. But Matt Holiday can play the outfield and first base, 
and hit the ball really hard last year. So I think he's actually fairly safe, at least in the early going. Maybe he gets traded or I, I doubt he gets released, but maybe he gets released. I think it was only a one-year deal too. If, if he started really stinking, I yeah, think point. he could yeah. get released. But I think health is, is the bigger concern with Holiday. Otherwise, I agree with you that he's DL, a little bit yeah. more steady um, in terms so of So I see it time. as kind of, yeah, Bird Holiday, if there's a platoon at first, is Bird Holiday. And if there's a platoon in the outfield, uh, Holiday can, he, he could platoon actually with Brett Gardner, who's been worse against, uh, left, who's been bad against lefties in the past. Um, so you could, you could, I think Holiday could almost get a full slate of at bats between left field with Brett Gardner, you know, uh, or like Aaron Hicks plays left field and Holiday plays right or whatever. But, you know, Aaron Judge, I think Aaron Judge and Tyler Austin are the ones that are in trouble. They're the ones that, that are going in that need to, I think that's almost one or the other. And I know that Tyler Austin, you know, may be playing a little bit of third base. That's what I heard. Oh, but he'd really have to show that, I think, in spring. Yeah, because and Chase then, Headley's, the, the defense is kind of what keeps Chase Headley going. Right. So I, I think Tyler Austin goes to the minor leagues to begin the season. Judge, Holiday, Hicks. And Gardner, you know, I think Hicks is probably the backup center fielder, really. The ba- so, backup all, all three spots. Right, but I don't think that they want his bat so much that they're putting him in over Gardner or something. So it's sort of like Ellsbury, Hicks in center, Gardner, Holiday, um, Judge, Hicks, I guess, and, um, and then DH first base is, is Bird. Uh, Bird Holiday, which I think leaves most of the, most of the playing time at DH to Carter, which we have 500 fans appearances to Matt Holiday there, but I think that can go to Carter. I think there's enough room for Holiday to play in other places that, uh, that can go to Carter, at least in the early going. And it's gonna be a great park, and he's gonna cost a lot, he's gonna cost less than Napoli. And, you know, I think he's going to be first base eligible. Let us find out about Carter. that. He has, oh, he has to be. To be. Because yeah, he's he, was the, he was with the Brewers. Brewers. <laughs> so, so there you go. You get a first baseman, and he'll he'll hit two twenty. But so could Napoli. And if one's five dollars and one is one dollars, and give me Chris Carter. I, th- I think that's fair. Um, one dollars. One dollars. I, I bid one dollars. Biango Park uh, designated sent, sent no to the dollars. miners outrighted zero dollars. Like I said. Well, we 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 discussed this. You know, there's just no. There's no place for him with Vargas up there. So they have to give up on Vargas or trade Maurer. That's the only way that Park is up. So we were speculating that that could happen. Now that it has happened, where where are you on Vargas? How much in like an AL labor situation, which is 12-team AL? He was a big barreler last year. You know, he's he's and he's not as much of a free swinger as some of his numbers will suggest. He's, um, you know, he doesn't, last year he swung less, he re- reached less outside the zone than most. He, he didn't swing much at all. He, and, um, he had a 13% walk rate. So, you know, he's a guy who will put up a good OBP and actually barrel the ball once, once he, once he hits it. So I actually think that you're looking at a, a good pickup here. Okay. I, I think, I mean, I, okay. What do you think? Napoli or Vargas? At their cost, I think it's back to $5 for Napoli, $1 for, uh, Vargas, and so I'm going to go with the one dollar guy. I'm going to go with Vargas. Yeah, I mean, it, who knows if it actually goes that much? But I think even if it was, 
even if you gave me five dollars and you said you can have Carter and Vargas for five dollars, or for five dollars you can have Napoli and Park or something, you know, like mm-hmm. like a guy who might not play at all, you know, um, a fifth outfielder or something, a fourth outfielder, Hicks. How about that, Hicks? Hicks and Napoli for five dollars, or Carter and uh, Vargas. Man, you caught me though because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a total Aaron Hicks. Stand. Like I'm, I'm still kind yeah, of. But at this in. point, that's a crowded outfield. I mean, I, I know, I you, know. You're and hoping for an Ellsbury injury, really. It has to be too, because he's shown Hicks has, and not a lot of guys do, but but he really has shown that he doesn't succeed with the sporadic playing time. He's yeah. not the guy who's going to have a hot week that earns him two weeks of playing time. When he's spotted into the lineup, it does not go well for Aaron Hicks. So. I think I would take the other two. When you're talking about Carter and, and Vargas, I could legitimately get 55, 60 homers. Yeah. You know, dep- depending on how pl- playing time shakes out, there's that possibility. And the most I think I'm getting with the other trio is like 40. And that's if Napoli hits 30 again and I get 10 from Hicks. So as much as I like Hicks, I think I got to go with the, with the two power hitters, take my chances that one of them is good enough for me to kind of lean on for a good part of the season. Yeah. What about you? Which of that, which of those do? Yeah, I, I would take it. I, I, the only thing, the only hesitation I have is whether that's even possible, how the market's, how the market's going to bear out. Yeah, well, but well, I think, you know, it's interesting because the projections for Vargas say he's going to be more, you know, at least a $5 player, 247, 24 homers. I think that in an AL only is probably, you know, three to $5 player. He's definitely so, one of those guys that a big spring tur- turns it around though and turns up the heat quickly and he goes from one dollar guy to people start playing five six seven pushing it up a little bit because they get hyped on him because they remember how he started and you know i think or or they just give a second look and they realize even last year when he only hit 230 for vargas he still had a 120 wrc plus like because like you said he was barreling the ball up consistently and so there's some punch there so maybe you're right that the hypothetical doesn't work because they might not be that cheap but I do think that uh, this, this, of course, this move for Bianco Park uh, enhances the value of Kenny's Vargas, and I'm going to go ahead and probably grab a share or two of him now. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our breakdown, which is the St. Louis Cardinals. They're a really interesting team, as we hinted at the beginning. The the Pocota projections out at uh, Baseball Prospectus have uh, have come out, and they're not very friendly to the Cardinals at all. In fact, they have them. In fourth place, it, it says fourth because uh, it's they're tied with the Brewers for 76 wins, but their runs scored are 706 compared to 720 for the Brewers. So I think that that's what gets them slotted fourth, or maybe it's just alphabetical. Either way, they're 76 and 86 is their projection, which is very surprising. And I, you know, Cardinals fans are gonna be like, "No, that's ridiculous. This this is stupid." They don't get everything right in Pocota, right? We know that they're they're not 100, percent but they're good. And, and they have a lot of success. And so instead of just dismissing it because you don't think that that could be the case, I think you got to look deeper and see what's, what's going on with it as to why they get to this number. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that not a single pitcher is projected for a two warp season. And they use warp, which is wins above replacement player. That's their version. They put the P on it there. Uh, and the highest you get is 1.8 from Mike Leak. And so that, I think that's a big issue as to why they're, they're very low on the Cardinals this year. What, what did you think when you saw 76 and 86 for that team? 
I don't, I don't like to use a sniff test so much because, you know, people sometimes use it against war and, and our projections and a lot of yelling about Astros versus Rangers projections and stuff like that. And so, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not yelling about anything. This, I want to you know, you every yell. system, every system has, Every system comes up with their own projections, and, and when is the next edition? It's totally of fine. Yelling, it's totally fine. However, it doesn't pass the sniff test for me in terms of look at that rotation and tell me. Are you telling me that rotation is bad? I don't think it's bad. I know. I actually don't think it is bad either. Adam Wainwright is old, yes, but he's getting healthier than he was, and I feel like with that curveball, he's like a bad season from Adam Wainwright. Still looks like, you know, last year's at worst. And last year he was still, you know, like a two-win guy. Well, and they've got options oh. on options on options. Here's, here's what resource has currently. Carlos Martinez, Adam Wainwright, Mike Week, Lance Lynn, Michael Waka. That doesn't even get into the 31st pitcher off the board in current drafts at NFBC, Alex Reyes. You got an interesting prospect who's more of a 4-5 type, but Marco Gonzalez. Uh, you've got did I mention Lance Lynn was in there, right? So you got Alex Reyes, Marco Gonzalez. I feel like there's one there's, other one that I'm forgetting. There is one. There is oh, one. I asked Luke Weaver. Yes, I asked for a what was it, what was the piece that I came up with recently? It was about command. Anyway, I asked Eric Longenhagen for you know like a guy who we might be undervaluing because their best Can skill is command. It was Luke Weaver. Oh, okay, it was Weaver. We okay. can't get. I mean, I gave you the answer first, but I, I asked. Didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know that. You, I thought. I thought I hadn't <laughs> mentioned him yet, and I thought it was gonna be like John Gant or something. No, I, I no. love Weaver. So, yeah, Luke Weaver. But, uh, Gant actually did show up as a good command guy in one of my in one of my um, one of my queries. I was pretty su- surprised about that. I think Gant is not listed on our depth charts as a, a seventh starter or something, but I think he probably is. He certainly um, could be, although. I think Reyes and Weaver are the are the six seven right now, and then Gant would probably be closer to an eight, um, and fighting with Mark. Depending on how Marco Gonzalez returns, never mind. I forgot that he had the TJ last year. Uh, it was in April, so he could come back in in season, but it, it's probably in the second half for Marco Gonzalez. He's cast best as like you know triple A depth. I mean, I don't think he could maybe be a fifth fourth fifth starter for some teams, but for this team, he's the guy when everybody's hurt or they just had a twenty inning game. Um, yep. you know, that, that he gets called up the next day to, to pitch. So, uh, it is interesting that Alex Reyes is the sixth starter here. I think there is a lot of depth. I think that's what you're saying. There's a lot of options. So if Michael Walker comes to town and is the bad Michael Walker and then you, they put him in the, in the, the pen and then the pen is made even better. Um, when Rosenthal is like your third or fourth best reliever right now and then you put Walker in there, that could be a real deadly, you know, Royals type pen. You're going to have, that would make it, you know, you'd have like four guys, five guys that could strike out 10 guys per nine. And then you add in Walker with that devastating changeup. So, you know, that, that's a interesting option. Lance Lynn throws so many fastballs and doesn't have a lot of other good stuff. If he comes back at anything less than a hundred percent, if you put him in the bullpen, he'd probably strike out 10 per nine. So, you know, and then Mike Leak, if he's, if he's boring, I think he's probably just going to be boring and, he's just and stay. Be his innings eater self. I mean, he is he is a, a prototypical 
uh, innings eater in this era, right? Innings eaters back in the day would eat up like 280. Um, you, you slice about a hundred off that, that that's what a, a present day innings eater is, but that's, that's what leak does. I mean, he goes, he goes a buck 80, went 177 last year, 192 the year before 214. He's actually probably good for more than, than 180 on average. And, you know, he kind of lingers around league average or, or a little bit better. In fact, he's kind of on an every other year situation. If you just look at his ERA plus, for his career, it's 96, 102, 90, 112, 99, 106, 87. Hey, that means this year he's guaranteed to be above average. I'm just kidding. He's not guaranteed, but <laughs> I, I, I think he's perfectly fine. Um, I do have a couple questions tied to this rotation of the rebound candidates that they have because they have three guys who could rebound big. Uh, who, who were studs at, at points in the past, particularly Wainwright was, of course, an ace. Waka and Lynn have both been really strong assets uh, for seasons or at least periods of time in the case of Waka, who keeps running into injury. Who do you think is the best rebound candidate there from a fantasy angle? I'd probably Waka. I mean, I, I love I, Waka. I, yeah, I just wish the changeup change is plus, and he's still got plus velocity. I don't uh I don't know. I, he went away from the curve a little bit last year and I think the curve was useful for him as another uh, velocity band, but uh it wasn't getting any whiffs for him. But no, the cutter doesn't really get whiffs either. So and the cutter gave up a ton of home runs last year. That was the 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 culprit when it came to home runs. So you know, I think he probably comes to town and dials back that cutter a little bit and ups the curveball usage a little bit. And, um, and, and, uh, is pretty much the walk of old, although the walk of old may have outperformed his peripherals a little bit. So, um, you know, there is a bit of a correction there, but if you look at a lot of their guys had career worst years last year, and if you overreact a little bit too much, I think that's how you might get into some Carlos Martinez is an ace. And even if he gets hurt, Alex Reyes can play that role. I think he has that kind of stuff. Well, especially so, if it's only for like a half season, but I, that leads into the next question. Why the hell is Alex Reyes the 31st starter off the board in, in NFC drafts right it's now? That's too much. Insane. I mean, you're just assuming that someone's not going to make it through spring. And Lance Lynn had his surgery pretty early last year, if I remember. I thought it was, um, in March even. Yeah. So, you know, not, not even, not even into the season. Yeah, he didn't pitch at all. He didn't pitch at all last year, except for six innings at the end of the year. So he's actually gotten on a mound and thrown competitively. Uh, which suggests that, you know, he's, he's not far off. Lance Lynn was pretty damn good as, as a fantasy guy before that too. Like we were seeing this guy was, was developing into like an upper end innings eater who you can rely on. I mean, I, I don't yeah. want to necessarily call him that. Like he had a 274 ERA for 203 innings in 2014, 303 ERA and 175 for it's 15. Just so many fastballs. It's 80, 85% fastballs in 2015 it's just i know he has like like three or four different kinds of fastballs sure. and it's a big deal but when you don't throw any of your secondary pitches 10 percent of the time it worries me a little bit and um so he's gonna have to be really fine with that fastball and he's always had these high whips so uh, i just i i don't think i'm gonna have a lot of redraft uh leak or lynn uh shares but i might try some alex i might try some michael Walker. Alex Reyes will be too expensive for me. Um, you know, Adam Wainwright, I might actually, he might fall so far that I will have him. Because if you had Adam Wainwright as a fifth or sixth starter in a redraft league, I mean, you know how good he can be. 
absolutely. And he's the 62nd pitcher off the board. I don't, I just don't know that he's completely done yet. Would you ever yeah. in a mixed league get like Felix and Wainwright as your four or five? Just to see. My God, of course. Right? I mean, what, doesn't that sound really appealing just to see? I mean. And I'm, I'm, I'll be really interested to see how this works out. I am going to do some tiered rankings just so that, you know, people have been asking for it. And, you know, I think I need to do it for myself anyway. So I'm just going to do some. Real fast. Felix is not going as, as a fourth, but we like guys after him that we would slot ahead. He's the 32nd pitcher off the board. But if we take like a, um, like a James Paxton, and a, a Carlos Rodon in that reading with our ace, then all of a sudden we're kind of slotting Felix for. So I just want to be clear on that before we got comments. Like he's the 32nd pitcher off the board. He's not a f- number four starter. Right. But anyway, you're going to There's do also going to be leagues. There's going to be leagues where he doesn't go 32nd. Oh, I mean, there's going to be leagues where he drops because there's going to be a lot of leagues where people want that Rodon, Paxton, you know, that breakout John guy, Gray. the next guy, you know. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling that those young guys are going to move up. Because there is no number two really anymore. So there's going to be like 20 guys that could be number ones. And of course, half of those will be number twos in most leagues. But, you know, you got that sort of, you know, 50, 20 guys that feel like okay, these are pitchers we can rely on. They have established track records. They're good pitchers. I want them. And then there's going to be another sort of 10 to 15 that have a lot of warts. And I think those are going to go right up against the young guys coming up. There's going to be people who take a Paxton over, say, um, I'm trying to think of somebody who's like the th- like a Felix. Yeah, there's going to be someone who takes Paxton over Felix. Definitely. You know, and there's going to be guys. There's going to be guys that these young guys where we you could call them reaches, but you you you're playing a hunch or you like something they changed. You like Rodon's change up in the second half, whatever it is, and you say this guy is young. He's going the right direction. The old guy is going in the wrong direction. And so I think we're going to see a lot of number threes that are really young, sort of trying to get the next Danny Duffy, which means that four and five, we're all going to be back in the pool being like, oh, crap, what's out here? Because where we used to get the young guy who's about to break out, he's not going to be there anymore. You're right. We'll either it's going to flip. Yeah, we're either going to have to drop further and pick someone Who's not even like a Matt Strom type, right? And be like, that's on my number five. I really like Matt Strom. Well, that's a bad idea. So there might actually be some arbitrage available to us picking a guy like Adam Wainwright to be a high number four for us. Um, and then all of a sudden you've got this rotation that has established guy, you know, two established guys, your James Paxton type, and then Adam Wainwright. And you're like, you've got what I like about that is it's not only uh, quantity. And, you know, quality, but it's also diversity of approach. It's like, I'm going to take this guy because he has a track record and he's going to bounce back. I'm going to take this other guy because he's young, throws hard, and did something different in the second half. I'm going to take this guy. You know you know what I'm saying? I like taking for different reasons. You know, it, it all has to come together anyway for you to win. Absolutely. And I think you're making great points here and that some of these older guys are going to be the way to go and, and i'd can, rather take a wainwright who pitched last year than a lynn who didn't <laughs> absolutely oh i'm 100 percent there yeah. and i kind of got i kind of got duped last year i'm not gonna lie i don't know if you remember this when adam wainwright called into the serious fantasy and and gave him some hell about where his draft stock was and it was it was tongue-in-cheek he was being he was being funny or whatever but the way he was like talking about himself saying you know i came back from that injury 
and you know I'm ready to go and I just I kind of bought in on it. I didn't, I wasn't like overextended on him, but I got a few Wainwright shares because of what he was saying there and obviously it didn't go well. I know he's in a year older at 35, but I still have the belief that he has one more kick in him where he can be a mid to low 3s ERA guy for 180 innings. And and maybe the, maybe the key and he would never want to do this, but maybe the key is taking some time off in the middle of the season, right? Uh, like a well-planned two-week uh, sore shoulder sort of thing for him to keep Wainwright ready to go for, for, you know, start to finish. Maybe he can't do 200 innings again at age 35. I don't know, but uh, I will have a share or two just, just to see where he and Felix are at for sure. Let's talk some hitters on this team. Is there hope for a Colton Wong breakout or is, are, 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 do we have to start addressing Colton Wong as what he is, which is maybe may, may a fringe option? Like, what, Where do you currently stand on him? Yeah, I, I don't see it in terms of you know production. I could see it in terms of volume. Like, I could see him holding on to second base just by virtue of being a good defender, a good base runner, a guy with a little bit of patience and just enough pop. You know, one of those boring all-around players that plays his way into 600 plate appearances and you look up and he's got Starlin Castro-type numbers at the end of the year. You know, 280, 15-10, you know? And that won't be exciting to anyone, but it'll be useful to a lot of players and it won't have cost much. So that kind of breakout I could see, but I do not see, you know, his exit velocity was either average or below average like every week last year. And yes, he was seven for seven in terms of stolen base attempts, but I don't see him as suddenly breaking out into like a 30 or 40 type. So he's only going to be a minor asset there. And, you know, efficiency can only take you so far. So, and then the, the other thing on top of that is if you want to, if you did want to say, okay, I do like this volume thing. Yes, Wong's going to break out because he's going to have the job all year and I like the volume. Then the problem is, well, hold on. There are two other guys that could be the second baseman for the Cardinals next year. And, you know, is it going to be Colton Wong or is it going to be Jed Jerko? Well, that leads us to our you next know. question. Or is it going to be Johnny Peralta? Who's or? going to get more playing time between Johnny Peralta and Jed Jerko? Because right now, Roster Resource has Peralta as the odd man out, Wong at second, Jerko at third, and of course, Aledmus Diaz is eating up second, uh, shortstop there. So who do you think gets more playing time between Jerko and Peralta? Peralta coming off a down year. Jerko coming off of a high year, but obviously Peralta has the much better track record between the two. Mm. You know, that's it's a very difficult one with um, the fact that Johnny Peralta was a, a shortstop for so long and put up good defensive metrics despite looking how he did in the field. As a Tigers fan watching him, seeing those metrics, I'm like, oh, so this is why people say don't trust one year metrics. <laughs> so be careful. Okay, I get it. I get it. Um, like He was that prototypical guy who you say he makes all the plays that come to him, but he doesn't go out and he, like, he has no range is basically the right. way of saying it. And that's how I felt about Peralta, but apparently he played better uh, for St. Louis. I wasn't watching them day in and day out, but for four years in Detroit, I was like, eh, yeah. but compared to Jose Iglesias, uh, there's no, there's no comparison. Yeah, I didn't even get it. Like in terms of body type, I was like, those thighs are not that. That was the thing. He's, he's so he's so thick. I mean, I could see yeah. faking him at second base and even third base, but shortstop and to get those good metrics, it was it was interesting. But uh, yeah, but Peralta, he also didn't. 
Peralta did not get the ISO bounce that the rest of the league got, you know? Uh, so, and, and Jerko, you know, took it off, took off and, and ran with it. Jerko's 28. Peralta is 34. I'm just going to have to go with the youth here because, you know, Peralta, you know, maybe plays a little short. I, just, I can't even say it. Uh, Without choking. Shortstop. Uh, I mean, I, I could see Peralta at his age, like, you know, them saying, okay, you're our utility guy. We're going to play you. We're going to play some second. You're going to play some third. These are all places you've played before, you know. So, uh, anyway, I, I think Jerko is not a very safe pick. So I'm probably going to abstain from those guys. Yeah. And, and probably from Wong, except for in deeper leagues and just say, you know what? The Cardinals are going to Shanahan you and they're going to, they're going to find what, the, what works for reference. them. It's not. It may not work for, for fantasy. Great reference, but we need to explain that. That's Mike Shanahan, who was a running back by committee guy well before the league started going to it. And you just never knew who was going to be the good guy, uh, to, to, to get on a given day. And it was, it was really frustrating. So, uh, that is, that is an interesting reference. And I think the Cardinals could do that. And honestly, I think that's the way a lot of teams are going these days. When they've got multiple guys, they, they feel comfortable using them and, and, and no one, Hardly anyone plays 162 games anymore, so you need guys streaming in and out uh, anyway. So I think that that's, that could work to their benefit uh, for the Cardinals. So, so who? I mean, who's exciting to, to to target here? Yeah, who's your favorite target? I, I think it's actually pretty boring. I mean, I think Dexter Fowler. You're paying for last year's rates on a on a 30 year old uh, who might just go 10 10 this year. Uh, in terms of home runs and stolen bases, and not really be a fantasy asset and in, in, in in average, Randall Grichuk, you know, he hits the ball hard, but, and he's not necessarily a one tooler, but the dude does not really know what a slider looks like. So, you know, he's gonna keep, he's gonna keep striking out like he did, like he does, and he's not gonna have a good OBP for those in OBP leagues. He's not a very good base dealer. So even if he does, you know, take a hold on that job because of his defense, his other great, his other good tool, then you're talking about a, a fantasy one tooler in terms of just just some power, and it's not game changing powers. You know, it's just twenty twenty five homers. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't really see a guy. If Stephen Piscotty does not cost much, I think he could combine a good average, you know, a bit, way better average Grichuk. So he got has a fair cost. He's going around like one thirty, yeah, something like that. That seems okay because um, he he might steal five, steal you know, hit twenty twenty five. If he hits me 25 homers and steal five bases and hits 275, that's going to be valuable, especially in five outfield leagues. So I think, I think Piscotti, you know, he's 26. This could be, you know, if there is a breakout year, it could be this year or next year for him in terms of that's when players are peaking, you know. Uh, it's, there's nothing in his batting line that says, oh, you got to watch out for the strikeouts or he doesn't walk enough or his defense is bad. He played a little center for them, you know, he's not a, a great defender, but they'll find a place for him to play. So uh, I, I like Stephen Piscotty. It's cheap enough where I could get, you know, a third outfielder on fifth and fourth outfielder prices, something like that. Um, and uh, and that's about it, really. Like, uh, Diaz, okay, I, I might get a share of Diaz. Uh, I think he'll be a top top twelve shortstop offensively. There's yeah. a little bit of risk that he loses his job because of defense, but there isn't actually that much of risk. There's no other player on that team. That has a, a better, better package to put together at, at shortstop. I mean, Greg Garcia might be able to play a little bit better short, but he doesn't really hit. So, 
Uh, yeah, I, to- I totally agree. I mean, I think there's get- there's some love for Edmus Diaz out there. He's going to pick 151. That's that's not even uh, expensive or anything, but he's the ninth shortstop off the board. If you don't get in on that first wave, you could get Diaz, and, and that totally works. Uh, is there anybody you're definitely staying away from? I mean, Yadi Molina is uh, 34 years old, catcher. Uh, people, I think, uh, want to give him that batting average so badly that they forget he doesn't do anything else. So I don't think he's necessarily a top 12 guy. Um, and then we've talked about the reasons why I don't really want to take part in the, in the middle infield carousel there, other than, you know, the second base, third base, Wong, Jerko, Peralta. I, I don't see enough upside in there. No, no one of those guys is going to hit much better than 260 or 250. None of them is going to hit much more than, you know, 20, 25 homers. Maybe Jerko does, but that wouldn't require him to get all of the playing time. So I don't really see, um, a lot of fun there to be had mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, and, uh, anybody off the radar? I think we kind of hit on our guy. Uh, Luke Weaver might be, might be the right answer there. I think we've gone too far on Waka too. Waka, uh, Luke Weaver is interesting, but more in those leagues where you don't have to play the guy to have some value, you know, where you have deep benches. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think Waka's, you know, I think the, the reaction to him has been too, too, too harsh. He actually qualifies as an off the radar guy. He's picked 390 yeah. right now. So I, I don't think we're out of bounds, even though he's very well known. You know, everyone knows the name. I don't think we're out of bounds to say that he's he... 94 with a plus changeup and the curveball works. You know, he, I think he probably went too far on the cutter thing. I don't it's think it's been health. Yeah. Yeah. And, and health. You know, I don't think that, uh, I don't think he's done. I, I'm really surprised to hear him going to the bullpen. I do not think he's going to the bullpen. I think the Reyes thing is an overreaction to everyone thinking that he's going to the bullpen, but I'm not Same. sure he's in the bullpen right. Same. Impact prospects. We already talked about Reyes, Weaver, Marco, Marco Gonzalez. Two hitters that we saw down in the Arizona Fall League. Get your thoughts on both and how much they could play. Carson Kelly is a catcher. We know that if Yachty's healthy, he's playing. So that kind of cancels that out in terms of anything but a, uh, a Yachty injury. But I'd still like you to give your thoughts on, on Kelly, uh, Kelly's future. And then Harrison Bader. Honestly, I kept looking at this guy and all I could think was another Piscotti type. Right down, right down to, you know, kind of when they drafted him third round, just a college hitter who, who really looks like he's just going to never be like a superstar in any one category for fantasy, but just a solid quality hitter. And I, I was, I was impressed with him. Uh, 2015 draft pick had a solid season at double A and triple A last year. Uh, finishing school is basically what the Arizona Fall League is. So I think he's kind of the first man up if they need somebody outfield this year. Uh, outside of of who they have on the bench, which is Tommy Pham, so I kind of like Bader. But what are your thoughts on Bader and Kelly from the Fall League? Well, if this team is as bad as they're projected to be, then they may move on from a guy like Richuk, um, you know, because Richuk is a little bit borderline in terms of what we're talking about—the kind of a two-tool guy. So, um, you know, Bader could be up this year. The thing that goes against him is what you said—the Cardinals thing. Yeah, Piscotty, maybe a Piscotty type, Piscotty kind of broken at 24 mm-hmm. you know and Bader's 22 so even though he's played some double a and some triple a he could he could do a full season again at double a triple a and, and i missed and the cardinals uh, yeah. he was bad at triple a he had a good year combined if you exactly added up, but it was mostly and they'll the use that as an, ex, as an excuse because they like to get guys really near their peak they like to get guys at 24 25 i think and get those six years you know from 24 to 30 you know as opposed to you know, maybe getting a couple years too early. You're right. I, I think that's just sort of a little thing that the Cardinals end up doing. They have later debut ages than most teams. So, 
You know, I think um, I think what you'll see out of Bader is they'll say, hey, we're not sure what your true power is. We want you to find that 200 ISO and, and love it, and uh, and you haven't really done that yet. You know, in terms of walks and strikeouts, there's some upside there. He could end up being a lot like Piscotty, but I think it's a year too early for him. Kelly, he's gonna be he's gonna be there soon. I mean, it, the, he's gonna he's gonna be playing, but I I'm a tin stack tin, tin stack. <laughs> yes, tin I stack love it. There's no guy. such thing as a catching prospect, yeah. at least for fantasy, right? Because okay, if they're they good, take forever to get exactly, going, especially yeah. hitting wise. No, I, I actually completely agree with you. Um, I'm never in on the hot catching prospect ever. You know, sometimes it's going to be Buster Posey and I'm going to miss out. Sometimes it's going to be Gary Sanchez. I'm going to miss out. I'm okay with that. Uh, and maybe part of it is that I did kind of go all in on the weeders. I, I, I got hyped on that and I got burned, but I, I can't tell you the last time I've drafted a catching prospect since weeders, which was, I think 2009 when he was on the come up. So I'm with you. I, I, I like that. We need to start that as, as a thing. There's no such thing as a catching prospect again, particularly for fantasy. Yeah. So. I would just, uh, I mean, Gary Sanchez, yeah, I mean, just for every Gary Sanchez, there's, uh, who's the guy? Christian Vasquez. Christian and Vasquez, Jesus Blake Montero, Swihart, Devin Mezzarocco, Devin Mez- uh, yeah. you know, yeah. we, we can list a bunch off. Those are just a few quick ones, but there and they'll are still more. play. Like if you're a major league team, you have to have a catching prospect because you need a catcher. And you, you well, that's the thing, and that's but, what tricks people is they yeah. think, well, he's going to play. Even Travis Darno, I think, qualifies in tins the cap. We we'll oh. need to figure out the actual way to pronounce it. But yeah. um, and you're also you know, looking Austin, at you're looking at prospect lists that are for real. Exactly. Baseball. And so you see third prospect, you're like, oh, the number three prospect. Yeah. But if you don't read it, you see that it's like. Eighty-four percent of it's his awesome fielding, and the other oh, you, the other fact is really that he's bang the ball, and he's got a good arm, and he's like Jorge Alfaro. I'm out, man. It'll take it takes a lot for Jorge Alfaro to be a starting a starting uh, a fantasy pack catcher. Will take a lot. Yep, I, compl- so, I completely agree. So, I, but he, I'm he'll probably play in the big leagues. He'll be a, a useful player in the big leagues. Yep. So. No, I, I, I completely agree there. So don't get too hyped on Carson Kelly, even with Yadi Molina behind, uh, ahead of him. Eliminate that fact. Just in general, be sketchy on ca- catching prospects in fantasy. All right, you know, wrap it up with one last thing. So what do you, what do you think of that 76 and 86? Do you think that that is, uh, going to come to fruition somewhere near it or, or is it's, this a, an above 500 team in your estimation? It's good to talk through a team like we did because you kind of, start to see how things move together, right? Mm-hmm. And when we started talking about Diaz, that's when I realized maybe what's going on here a little bit. Diaz is not a good defender. He's at a very important defensive spot for this team. So if you're looking at, at that, and there's really not another option that's going to be a better defender or a better solution for them, right? No, because it's if funny it is Greg they, Garcia, then the bat it, it right. vanishes. And they, and this is funny because they actually released Diaz at one point. So it's, it's weird that their best shortstop, the best and only real option of shortstop is flawed, but is a real, he, he's going to be a good player. It's just that he might actually steal some value from the pitchers in the way that, you know, a bad defensive team can do the, these things, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if he doesn't take a step forward when it comes to defense, then maybe we have to take the upper bounds of these ERAs. Uh, from guys like Wainwright, maybe we have to sort of consider Wainwright, Lee, Walka, all four ERA guys, because you know the benefit of the bouncing ball doubt is not going to go in their direction. Because well, um, they don't really have any any exemplary defense except for Yachty. 
Right. You know, uh, Matt Carpenter is fine at first, but Jerko and Wong, uh, we already talked about a Right. Does, does Wong get that job because he's a good defender? Then you lose some bat as opposed to, you know, uh, uh having Jerko in there. So mm-hmm. there, there, it's a lot of flawed pieces, but the one thing I will say is that they, uh, if you round up, there, there's not a single, uh, spot on their roster that, uh, you wouldn't round up to two wins. You know, uh, and that, that goes all the way into their pitching staff, except for the fifth guy, Waka, who we have down for 94 innings. So he would still sort of pace out. If you add Waka to Reyes, you still get three wins. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's the kind of thing that I think is very hard to see. It's called, I have to call it the no holes approach. So I, I would say it's better than, you know, I would, I wonder how Pakoda does depth charts. And I would wonder if our human depth charts are, are possibly better in that regard or worse or whatever. I think that might be the source of some of this error here because, or some of this discrepancy because, you know, we say they have pitching depth. Alex Reyes and Luke Weaver is way better pitching depth than most teams have. And, um, they're, they have no holes really. Everybody doesn't seem like it fits together and there's definitely flaws on this team, but they have two wins at every position. Oh, they don't have an all, they don't really have a, an all-star anywhere or like a, a real breakout guy. You know, sometimes teams don't, you know, it doesn't always have to look the way that you think it does. And then there could be a breakout on this team, a Piscotti, um, you know, another Carpenter, you know, big home run production from him or Ledmus Diaz takes a step forward on defense and becomes an all-around star. So, yeah. you know, there is some opportunity for them to take a step forward. And as they are projected, they're, they have no holes. And I think if you're, average everywhere then you should at least have an 81 win projection i agree and you know we didn't really talk much about it uh but their bullpen's pretty strong as well i love sing one oh he's the sixth closer off the board you got segrist rosenthal and cecil backing him up so two lefties and another righty even broxton as your fifth reliever is not bad so strong bullpen can can help this yeah uh, this rotation is actually a pretty good pitcher you know for them to have gotten uh on a decent deal like that He's got he's got the weirdest. If if there's homework for this, is go watch John Gant pitch because it is weird. I've seen it. I've seen it. Um, all it right, you know weird. that's gonna wrap us up for the week. Uh, talking some St. Louis Cardinals. Hope y'all enjoyed that. We will be back next week. If you have suggestions of a team you desperately want to hear us break down. First off, the one thing you got to make sure is that we, they, they don't have a bunch of holes. We're trying to get the teams that don't have a lot of unsettled uh, questions that they could go into free agent or still make a trade for. And obviously, the closer we get to spring training starting, that's going to open up most of the teams. But if you want us to talk about one, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, at Spore, at Eno Sayers. Eno, great talking to you. I'll talk to you next week. Yes, thanks for listening. <laughs>